Other people matter is a simple phrase, but it is one that has nearly bottomless depth. Hello, I'm Chris DeSantis and welcome to The Swim Brief. This is a podcast where I discuss coaching, often my own coaching and the coaching interactions I have with other people. Coming up, we're going to have a new bent to the podcast. I've been doing some different stuff recently, uh, partially owing to Joel Rawlings, who I frequently have on the podcast here. He's in the middle of a college season. Uh, he's very busy. And uh, so I've been changing up the format a little bit here and there. And I, I want to preview that a bit and continue where I left off prior to the holiday break, um, talking a bit about what is next in terms of that podcast. And we're actually going to have a series of podcasts <clears throat> coming up where I'm going to have guests. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And um, for those of you who uh, haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen to the podcast I did prior to the, the holidays, um, all about perfectionism, because it's, uh, it's very, very much related to what I'm going to be discussing and uh, some of the guests that I am bringing on were, I mean, all of them <laughs> were really integral in uh, me having a really big breakthrough in my life. And um, so I want to actually show you some of the insights that I got from them um, because I think it'll be great for you guys as an audience. Um, the phrase, other people matter, that I led this off with is one I've definitely mentioned before. Anyone who has studied positive psychology has come across the work of Dr. Chris Peterson. And if Martin Seligman was the founder, the brains behind the creation of positive psychology, Peterson supplied the heart and soul. He was the connective tissue between cold clinical psychological research and actual humanity. Um, I had him as a professor in the program. Um, everybody that had him, uh, he was famous for, you know, coming in nominally to teach a class and sitting down with his arms crossed in a chair and just sort of genuinely asking, how's everybody doing? And uh, somehow from that starting point, he would teach us more, um, I think in an hour than, than, uh, pretty much anyone ever has, <laughs> uh, in, in that kind of setting. Um, so I could do a whole pod podcast on him, but I would urge you to, um, explore some of, uh, his work itself. It's almost better sometimes to hear other people talk about him. Um, because, uh, if you read the, uh, any any works by Chris Peterson, um, they just don't do the inhuman experience of him justice. And sadly, he has passed away um, now. Well, gosh, it may have, we may be coming up on a decade um, since Chris passed. So back to this podcast. One year ago and, and one day from the time of recording, I'm recording this on the first day of everybody going back to work, January 2nd. 2024, I fully restarted my business, Chris DeSantis Coaching. And I'm what they call a solo entrepreneur or a solopreneur. 
I am the only employee of Christosanis Coaching. And um, that means I am every department within the business. I'm marketing, I'm sales, I'm accounting. Um, and uh, I even joked earlier this year when I fumbled a presentation that I wish I could have had a presentations department to blame for the error. But unfortunately, it was just me making some mistakes. Uh, people say that entrepreneurship is hard. Um, I would say it's hard in so much that it is ambitious uh, and doing ambitious stuff is hard and maybe not always for the reasons that people assume. In my, that has been my experience that it that it, that they're correct. <clears throat> it is very hard, um, and being a solopreneur can be one of the things that is hardest about it is that it can be extremely isolating. Um, most of my days spent working. I have the great benefit now of of working from home. Uh, and, but that also means that I have a lot of days where, uh, I am working alone without, uh, in-person contact with any other people. And I think in that isolation lies some of the biggest emotional danger in trying to do anything ambitious, quote, by yourself. And I put that in quotes because I don't really believe, um, even in so much as I know that I am the only uh, employee of Chris DeSantis coaching, I don't really believe that what I'm doing here is in any way something I'm doing by myself. And that's kind of the point uh, of this podcast and the upcoming series of podcasts that I'm going to give to you, the, the audience. I am really proud of the first year I had in this restart of Chris DeSantis coaching. Um, I'll start with the thing that, uh, that I think, you know, uh, we'll get into a little conversation about this later. The results were good. Okay. I made money and I worked a really sustainable schedule, which honestly, I'm probably more proud of. Um, I'm probably most proud of that. I had more time for things that I value most in life that are that are not things that directly right the keyword directly make me money um but above all that the growth that i was able to achieve personally over the course of the year is really <clears throat> the the magical part and I bet there's a lot of you listening that would go like, well, I would love to, you know, be starting a new year instead of, you know, making a uh, list of resolutions uh, of all the uh, of stuff I want to do, be able to look back on a year and reflect and go, wow, this was a good year. This was a really good year. Um, and I really did a lot, uh, did a lot personally. So, so how did I do that? Well, I think there were two uh, essential ingredients. One is challenge that, and when I say challenge, stuff that provoked me on an emotional level. And 
stuff, getting that challenge, getting those, trying things that were really ambitious, trying things that were out of my comfort zone, trying things where I predicted and I was right that I had a high uh, chance of failure. And, but it's not, seeking out that challenge is not enough, right? Um, I've been saying this a lot as I go out to speak to audiences, you know, um, the, I do believe in the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. However, um, what does kill you definitely doesn't make you stronger. And um, I guess what I mean by that is, you know, it is one thing to seek out challenging situations and I say emotionally provocative situations. But if those situations just leave you feeling devastated and damaged, then you won't feel stronger on the other end of it. Um, I think, you know, there's still, there's still potential for those to be something that make you stronger. I think for, for the most part they do. Um, but I've spent far too long in my life thinking that I had to figure out everything, and I mean literally everything, uh, with as little help as possible. And I am here to tell you, among other things, that it is one of the most foolish weaknesses I have ever possessed. Somewhere in the process of this year, I started to let go of that. Probably another way that many people interpret other people matter is you are who you surround yourself with. And I consciously made the decision, a series of decisions really, about who to surround myself with um, and what to do about that isolation that I mentioned earlier. Um, and without even really having it as an overarching goal, I built this infrastructure around myself so that even though I'm a solopreneur, I had a really vibrant network um, of people that were contributing to what I was doing, that were a part of um, my work, that were pushing things forward for me and others. One of the first decisions conscious decisions that I made when relaunching my coaching business was, and I've mentioned this before, investing in coaching. And within the next two weeks, I'm going to be bringing on the two coaches who each invested a half a year out of this last year working with me. And I want to highlight some of the things in bringing them on that I think are important and valuable that you can learn from my experience, right? Because I, I, I want to give that to you for free if you're listening to this. my One of my overarching goals um, is I want people who listen to this podcast to get better faster than I did um, by letting me... <laughs> letting me... Uh, screw up and tell you how to get around uh, some of that stuff ahead of time. Um, but one of the most important things that I learned or relearned really 
is a repeat of a value of stat I, I've stated many times. Walk your talk. Or put another way, don't advise people. And I got this from my favorite author, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Don't advise people what they should do. Tell people what you would do if you were them. Or better yet, tell them what you've done. Okay, so here goes. Here's what I've done. If you are a coach, I think you should invest in coaching. That's what I did. (laughs) Because after all, do you believe in coaching or do you not believe in coaching? And once you see the contradiction (laughs) that I think a lot of coaches are not necessarily staring down in the face quite yet, it becomes hard to argue against. If you're a coach, think about what are you doing for the people you're coaching? Are you helping them to be their best? Let's say you're a college swim coach, right? Just to, so we can use the NCAA 20-hour number. You do, do you think that the swimmers would be better off running their own practices for 20 hours a week with no feedback? Or do you think they'd be better off with you there? Right? And once you start to ask yourself those questions, I think it's pretty obvious to any coach the answer to those questions is a no. I believe in coaching and I believe in the value for the people that I am coaching. Right? Um, and because you provide critical feedback, you help people through challenging situations, you teach them things, and you ultimately you accelerate the rate at which they grow. That's why people go in for coaching and they don't just do it by themselves. Even, even I get, I get off on a digression here. I've been having some massive, I'm going to have to talk about this in another context, massive breakthroughs in my swimming. I've got a competition coming up here in less than four weeks, but I don't like, I train by myself, but I, but I, I'm not uncoached. (laughs) I mean, I have Trevor, my buddy, Trevor helping me. I have Joel helping me. Um, I have the people that I work with. They may not even know that they're helping me, but all sorts of people are helping me, even in that uh, swim practice that nominally I do by myself. And I think somewhere along the line, a lot of coaches decided we should just stop being coach. Well, we're the coach now, so... um, we don't need to be coached anymore or we're going to sort of get coaching, but it will be quote for free. It'll be done informally by our mentors or our boss will do it. Um, I, there's a lot of problems <laughs> with that approach that I'm not going to get into in this. Uh, in my situation, of course, I am my own boss and I made the conscious decision that if I was going to get on my feet and be successful in the terms that matter to me, I was going to hire coaches. That was going to be a really important ingredient in doing that. It it wasn't cheap. Let me just add that. It was a terrifying decision. Um, I invested over $10,000 between the two coaching packages on a no interest credit card. (laughs) For those of you who want to get into the nitty gritty of it, just to make myself feel safer before I had cashed any checks for Chris DeSantis coaching. 
And I can tell you 100%, I will make similar investments. I continue to make similar investments in myself. Because as you're going to see, or maybe you already know, good coaching has a long tail. What do I mean by a long tail? I mean, like people sometimes visualize coaching as like happening in real time, right? You know, like you're getting that feedback and then you're making adjustments and then you're improving and growing. Okay. I, uh, again, I'm borrowing some language from Nassim Taleb. It has a long tail. So the effects of coaching that you receive in the past, you know, has an impact far into the future as a long tail and has a fat tail because the effects can actually grow as you move past it. And that's what I've experienced um, with these coaching. And I think that's what differentiates, you know, uh, average coaching from great coaching (laughs) is that great coaching has long tails and fat tails. Um, I mentioned performance earlier. I said I made some money, right? And I think this is a good time to circle back because I just told you about the scary money spending. It's a good time to circle back to how that related to all of this. And it's also fresh of mind. And on this podcast, there's always, you know, it's always biased by the conversation that I've had within the last 24 hours before this. Um, But I just talked to yet another coach who told me a version of what I'm seeing almost everywhere in my coaching. And I, I see it in myself as well. So tell me if this sounds familiar. I had asked the coach what he had done around end of season goal setting with his team. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, we're not big on goals, right? Uh, He said that he avoided discussing time goals with swimmers because he found that performance goals were counterproductive, right? That he could have people that would, you know, check off all the steps of a better process and sort of meet all the mileposts along the way to something and then just come up short of their time and all they internalized was, I'm a failure. Now, I again, a whole other podcast could be done and sort of has been done by me <laughs> around that topic. Um, go back uh, a few weeks and, and look for some titles that have to do with failure because um, I think there's another conversation to be had there and, and I'll get I'll weave it into this one in a bit, but he explained further that some goals, sorry, some swimmers would set goals for how they wanted to score for the team at the conference or national level. But he also found that unproductive since ultimately, right, if you're going to say like, well, I'm, I want to place, you know, ninth at uh, NCAAs. No one one would make that as a goal. They'd want to be eighth. But anyway, ninth, um, he, you know, that was ultimately beyond the control of the athlete, right? You can, you can do an amazing performance and, um, you know, if there's eight even more amazing people in front of you, you know, that's going to affect how you do. And I actually, I put um, swimmers in this conversation all the time uh, when, I'm, when I'm coaching athletes and, you know, they'll tell me, well, I, I, you know, I don't like that I'm not winning this or that, or the other thing. Um, and I sort of go like, okay, would you rather get second? And, you know, I give them like a time that's 
two seconds better than their personal best and go this time? Or would you rather win and go slower than your personal best? Right now, sometimes some of them choose winning. Um, and I think that's either way you get, you reveal a lot about the thought process of the athlete, but I think it's, it's worth asking. Um, anyway, I think many of us have internalized that thinking about performance and how we want to perform is counterproductive, right? Uh, and even I'm guilty of this. Uh, it's probably some of you listening to the podcast that are going like, Chris, you have, you know, waxed on and on about how you don't use performance in your marketing because, what you teach is not, you know, with performance as a direct goal. And you're right about that. It is, in my mind, uh, increased performance, always an indirect side effect of the process that I use, that you perform better. But I think there's an important shift when it comes to performance. And this gets to, we're going to definitely get into this with uh, Nikki Kett. Um, that's a tease of one of the, my two coaches who, who I'm going to bring on there. But um, some of this was always there for me. Whether we discuss performance, both times and place, you know, these very sort of like do or do not things, whether we consciously avoid them, they do take up space in our consciousness. I have yet to meet a competitor who just 100% does not care how fast they swim or how they do in relation to others. Okay. My basic attitude then is if something is inevitable, if a thought, if thinking about something is inevitable, we might as well find a productive process for it. Right. Rather than letting it be passively be a counterproductive force or just accepting that it is counterproductive and avoiding it, which is what a lot of people end up doing. They go, this is not working. So let's avoid it. When it comes to thoughts, that usually actually strengthens it, okay, and makes you more vulnerable to it uh, in the long run. What I've learned about performance, goals, and ambition is, is twofold, and I think you're going to see in my conversations with my coaches each of these. Um, the first coach I'm going to bring on this podcast is one that you've actually, if you've been listening to the podcast from a long time, you've heard from her before. Sherry Fisher is a fellow graduate of the Master's in Applied Positive Psychology program. Gosh, I can't even get it fully out of my mouth. And in my opinion, I'm going to get really aggressive with my Sherry Fisher opinions. She is the foremost person in the field when it comes to the applied part. Okay. Um, I had never formally had Sherry coach me until earlier this year, and I could not recommend it more, especially um, if you're somebody who has struggled with executive function. That is, um, you know, ADHD um, was the diagnosis partially that, that led me to work with Sherry. Um, Sherry and I generated nearly 30 pages of notes in our time working together, which thank you, Sherry, because preparing this podcast, it will be exceptionally easy for me to find the key insights I want to share with you all. But that's not what I'm going to mention here at the top of each and every page. And we did this very early on in the process. Um, <clears throat> we made some modifications over time. 
Sherry, put my overarching goal, the thing that dominates everything else, I do. And it's not a performance goal, per se, but you also cannot sever it from performance. Like, all these things are are related. And you're going to see when we release the podcast. I'm going to have to keep it a secret until then. As I said, I'm, I'm somebody who struggled mightily to do some things and had an easy time doing other things. I was diagnosed with ADHD, then called ADD, from a young age and uh, untreated for most of my life. Sherry is like a magician. <laughs> Um, but I know it's not magic. It's actually, I, I understand scientifically how, how it works. But um, she taught me how to form cognitive links between actions that I was struggling to take and the deepest emotional thing I wanted most of my life. And that has obviously made a giant difference in how I do pretty much everything I do. Sounds very simple. Extremely hard in practice. Uh, Nikki Kett, as I teased earlier, uh, I've also mentioned several times that she has been my coach. Um, I'm going to make a confession about Nikki, and I will talk to her about this on the podcast. I almost quit on Nikki after the first session because she pushed me so hard on something, and I got really upset. And I almost just walked away. I'm really glad I didn't. Like I said, the work of good coaches has long tails. And those tails are fat, right? The effects last a long time. And they, they're, they're, they, they grow exponentially over time. And that's what I experienced for sure with Nikki. Nikki started me on actually learning how to somatically experience my emotions. That is like actually fully feel my emotional state in my body. And I was so afraid to fully experience my emotions that I was burning an incredible amount of energy avoiding them. So a lot of what I did with her was really uncomfortable, as you can tell from my almost quitting, and frustrating. I don't think, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say I don't think. I didn't even come close to fully, quote, getting it uh, while she was actually coaching me. But six months later, as I discussed in my last podcast before the break on perfectionism, I really broke through. In terms of allowing motivations to, to, to allowing myself to experience them and, and move through them, right? Or actually sort of better, better said, allow them to move through me. And I think I will probably from this point view my life in terms of before and after this moment. That's how big of a difference it made. Um, I find myself as a result even more attracted to doing ambitious things and more willing to put my heart on the line. Because I know what comes after is either success, which is great, success is awesome, or a failure that will trigger an emotion and the processing of that emotion will make me stronger on the other side of it. 
So it's almost like when I try something ambitious now, it's a win-win situation. Either I succeed and that's awesome or I fail and in the long run, that's awesome. Okay? Pretty great mindset to have if you're going to try to do something hard. Anyway, as you can tell, I'm pretty excited for these podcasts and I think we will go beyond the two coaches. In fact, uh, I have invited one more person on as of this recording, which I will mention in a second, because there have been more people that I've interacted with, especially over the last year, that have really helped me. And so who is my surprise third plane guest? Well, it's none other than Kate DeSantis. That's right, my wife. She volunteered. She doesn't remember volunteering, but she volunteered to come on the podcast recently. Um, And I thought long and hard about what would be a good way to have her on. You know, I don't want to risk being, quote, a wife guy who gets on and just like, I don't know that anybody wants to just listen to me um, pine over the love of my life for 45 minutes. But um, I think it's well past time for to give you guys as an audience a glimpse into the person who has been a partner in pretty much everything I've done for the last 17 years. Um, and, uh, part of what you're going to get out of that one too, uh, is, uh, when, when Kate way back when originally volunteered, I said like, you know, I'm having a hard time in terms of this podcast. I always interview a guest and, you know, I'm just naturally, I'm really curious. I'm a listener and I want to talk and, and, uh, hear from, from my guest, um, and she was like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll come on and I'll ask you the questions and make you squirm a little bit. So you can look forward to Kate coming on and um, you'll probably learn a lot about me that you wouldn't learn with anyone else there. Um, that's all for this week. As I mentioned in my pre-holiday podcast, I want to help you, the audience, see how I got to a big personal breakthrough so that maybe you can get there a little bit faster than I did. If you want to contact me for any reason, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com, fill out a form, christycoach.com, or contact me on one of my socials, christy underscore coach on Instagram, cdswimcoach on Facebook. That is all for this week, and I will see you soon.